the 1st of May, 2008, episode 98. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. Today we're going to cover a couple of topics in the electronic world. Uh, first, we're going to be talking about email etiquette, and uh, I've stressed this before a little bit about uh, there's certain rules to follow when you're emailing people, especially when you're emailing them about business. There's a, a way to conduct yourself, so we're going to go over uh, 10 tips of emailing people a better way, and uh, we're going to stick with the whole list concept for our second topic, which is um, 10 usability nightmares that you should be aware of, and this actually comes from the Smashing Magazine website. Uh, which I've recommended before. It's a good website, but these are some good tips on really what not to do if you are designing a website. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. All right, so I thought I'd take this uh, kind of section where I usually do the news and have a little frank discussion with everyone. Uh, I've always been kind of open about what's going on with me and what's going on as far as the podcast goes. And it should come as no surprise that this is one of many things that I'm doing all the time, I always say how busy I am. And I know that as designers, we probably are all very busy, either trying to learn some new stuff or working on multiple projects or maybe working a full-time job and then coming home and doing some freelance as well, uh, either to make some more money or to better ourselves or whatever the case may be. I'm sure everybody's very, uh, very busy with what they're doing. And I'm certainly not looking for any sympathy here, but uh, those of you who follow the show, probably have realized, uh, no doubt have realized that things have not really come on time lately. Uh, they've been very late or have not come out at all. I usually try and do a podcast every other week and that certainly has not been happening. Uh, I have been, I have had a couple of vacations and uh, some other things going on. So um, not my excuse, but that's just what's been going on. But this kind of sparked this whole thing and, and I've actually had thoughts of actually bringing this podcast to an end. Uh, like I said, those are just thoughts. That's not that's not something that's set in stone yet. And I thought maybe we might have a little discussion about it. Maybe some people on the forum want to chime in or what have you. But uh, a couple of the ideas that I've had, um, the one that I've had lately is just kind of, I am going to keep doing the app clinic thing, which if you don't know, that's the video podcast that I do where I give tutorials and tips in the different design applications. That one's definitely going to keep going. And one of my ideas was maybe to try and incorporate some of the themes that we have on Rookie Designer into that one so that you could actually do some visual learning. Now, I know that's probably not going to be the best thing for everyone because I know there's people out there who probably listen to this podcast on their commute to work or I've had people tell me they listen while they're exercising at the gym, what have you. Uh, there's people that, that really look for it to be in that audio format and that's probably not going to work for them if it comes in video but I'm just looking for, for ways to, to keep this thing going in some way. Um, but really, it's, it's just it's not falling into my priorities these days. And that's bad because I don't want the quality of this podcast to suffer 
because it's not on the top of my list anymore. And it has been almost two years, so uh, I think you know we've had a pretty good run. So I, I wouldn't feel bad about it going away. Although I do feel bad about you know not being able to put something out there for for all the people who do listen and all the people who have stuck with me for those almost two years. So again, I'm looking for a little feedback. Another thought I had was maybe there's somebody else out there to to pass the torch to. Maybe someone else wants to get out there and give their thoughts about what's going on, maybe share some of their experiences in the design world. And I think that would be awesome. Uh, I'm definitely not looking to sell the rights to the podcast or anything like that. So it would be basically, I'm handing you over, here's the keys to the site, keep it running. Um, You know, I could even probably assist somebody in getting it up and running and helping them, you know, get the podcast out or something like that. As long as I'm not the one who's doing it. Um, you know, because it's just taking too much time out of my schedule lately. So that's definitely something I would consider doing as well. If there's anyone out there who maybe has been thinking about podcasting, um, it's a great little niche. And, and I think it's a great service to give to all the people out there that do graphic design. And those of you who have listened for a long time probably know that already. But I definitely I think it would be great if I could pass, pass the torch to someone else and have them continue the tradition of Rookie Designer. Uh, of course, I'd want to be picky about it because I want to make sure that the the quality, the level of of learning that goes on on this show to to continue at a high level as it has for you know so long. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like I said, I like to be upfront with you guys, and this is the kind of thing that's been going through my head lately, as I have more and more things pile up on my plates, and I just don't really have time to do this. Um, I'm sure I'll get some emails. And I hope I hope we can be constructive with this. I, I don't want people to just you know send me emails and say no, please don't don't stop doing it because it's just like I said, it's kind of run its course with me. I have other things that I need to move on to, uh, bigger and brighter things, hopefully for for me. So um, if you have a suggestion as to maybe how we could keep this going, I would definitely be into hearing those. And also just to let you know, I'm planning on keeping the site going. If the, if the podcast does happen to end, then I, I am going to keep the site going and hopefully that will actually benefit the site in that, you know, I'll be able to put up more articles on the blog, which I haven't been doing either. Um, maybe we can add more sections and, and, you know, get some better stuff going. And of course the forums will stay up there, which I think is one of the most important things that came out of this podcast because, um, there's not a whole lot of people that use it all the time, but those that do, I've seen some great, great things going on up there. People asking questions and getting very good answers from from multiple users of that of that forum, and uh, some just some good sharing and people meeting people that they probably wouldn't have met otherwise, who live across the country or across the world, and uh, that that's definitely a good thing, and I love it, and that's going to stay there for sure. And I'll probably just incorporate that more as a part into you know the app clinic thing that I have going. Um, but again, you know, rookie designer may be coming to an end. It's, it's, this isn't going to be the last show. We're definitely going to have some discussions about this and it's going to go on at least for a little longer. I do. I am in the middle of, uh, an advertising buy right now or an advertising campaign. So I do have a commitment on this show still, so I will keep putting out the shows, but it's definitely something that's either going to change or maybe maybe end altogether in the near future. So I just want to let you guys know that so it's not just a, a blunt surprise thrown at you. Uh, another thing, I'm not really a fan of this, but the other thing would be to just kind of keep it going, and when I have the time, I'll put one up. 
I, when I listen to podcasts, I like to know when they're coming out. You know, I like them to be on a schedule. So I'm not really a fan of that. I'd rather have someone else take it over that has the time to do it, you know, every week or every other week or on, you know, a steady schedule. I'd rather have that happen than me just kind of be wish-washy and put something up whenever I want to. Um, I've listened to podcasts that have done that in the past and I wasn't really a fan of that. And actually it had ended up in me not listening anymore because I didn't know when a new one was going to come out. So uh, just a few ideas to throw out there, but definitely, you know, put in your two cents, somebody throw something up on the forum or, or send me an, a constructive email of, of what you think might be a good solution to this. And we'll try and work something out. That being said, we are still going. And uh, today the podcast is brought to you by GoToMeeting. And GoToMeeting is a great little product that lets you meet with people all over the world and saves you tons of money. And it does this by the fact that nobody has to fly to come see you. They don't have to drive. They don't even have to, if they're in the office across the street, they don't have to walk over and waste their time coming over to see you because you're going to be able to show them everything that's going on on your computer. They log in through an internet browser. Your guys are on a conference call and you're showing them everything that's on your desktop, everything that you're doing. Uh, if you're doing something in Photoshop, they can see everything that you're doing live. You get the instant feedback because you're talking to them over the conference call and it's a great thing. And you pay, you pay this one flat fee and you get to meet as many times as you want. You, you're not paying by the minute. You're not paying by how many meetings you have. You pay that one flat fee and you meet as much as you can. And it's a great tool. We use it at, at the work that I work at and uh, I definitely recommend it. So if you wanna try this, you can try it for free for 30 days. You just need to go to this URL, gotomeeting.com slash tech podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash tech podcasts. And check that out. It's a great little application. All right, so we're going to start today's show off with uh, some tips for email etiquette. And I'm kind of doing the list thing again. I have a couple of different lists here. Like I said in the beginning, the first one, we're going to talk about just tips for emailing people. And we're talking about business emails. Obviously, if you're emailing your friend, you know, the rules might be different. You might be able to use abbreviated words. You might use caps all the time. You might never use caps. Uh, you just do what you want. But when you're talking business, you really need to make sure that people understand what you're trying to tell them and that they don't get the wrong idea. When you're on the phone talking to somebody, you can explain yourself. When you're writing something in an email, it can be taken lots of different ways. So you have to be very careful about how you word things, uh, even how you type, how you use capital letters, how you use uh, punctuation and things like that. So, um, so our first list is about these things. And this was something that was sent out to everybody in my work. And I kind of pick up on these things. When they send things to us at my work, you know, I kind of read through it and I say, hey, you know, some of this stuff is actually pretty pertinent to what we do as well, because, um, you know, obviously we, we're going to deal a lot, especially those of us who are freelancers. But even if you're not, I mean, you have a regular job, you're going to be emailing people all day pretty much. And uh, this is the way we communicate these days. You got to make sure that, you know, you do it correctly. Like I said, there are going to be situations, maybe you're more comfortable with somebody that you're working with and you don't have to be so careful. But if you're emailing clients or you're talking with your business's clients at all, you definitely want to make sure that you're careful about these things because, you know, you don't want somebody taking something the wrong way and thinking that, uh, you know, thinking something they shouldn't, thinking that you're insulting them or that you uh, are saying something that you shouldn't be saying. So the first one on the list is be concise and to the point and don't assume the recip recipient knows the background. So, I guess the first thing here, people don't want to sit around reading emails all day. I mean, you don't want to do that. So um, 
it's kind of the do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Make sure that you don't write them a book. You know, I mean, we know from previous discussions that we don't do this in advertising because people won't read it. Well, if you send them a book in an email, they're probably not going to read the whole thing anyways. They're going to scan it and then you're, you're not going to get your point across. So you want to make it concise and to the point. The second part of that, don't assume they know the background. So, you know, if you're talking about some project and there's some pertinent information that they need to know to know what you're talking about in this email, make sure you slip that in as well. You don't want to just start talking to a certain point, you know, maybe about one particular part of a project and not explain, you know, where that even came from because they're going to be like, whoa, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, or they're going to, you know, they might give they might give you misinformation because they don't know exactly what you're talking about. Maybe you, there's a couple of things that are similar in some way and they give you bad information. There's just tons of things that can go wrong there. So make sure that you explain the background or, or where you're coming from with whatever it is you're, you're telling them. Um, number two is read the emails thoroughly and answer all questions and preempt further questions. Um, I'm sure we've all sent out an email before to a client or to someone we work with. You have maybe five questions in it. You get an email back and they answer two of them. This is annoying. You never want to do this. And this is, this is kind of a breakdown in communication. If somebody asks you questions, you make sure you go through. And this is a good, this is a good lesson for, I think, writing cover letters is another good example of this. You know, you're going to have certain things that the employer is asking for, for you to address either in your cover letter or in your resume when they're, you know, putting that ad, that want ad out there for the job. Same thing goes with an email. If somebody asks for certain things, you make sure that you go through and list each one of those things, answer the question or give them the information that they're looking for, you know, for each thing, for each question that's in there. And I also find that it's a good idea to just go through and kind of format it, you know, like their questions, answer the questions in the same order that they were, that, that they came in, you know, if that's possible at all. And that way it'll make it uh, less confusing for them. They'll be like, okay, I asked this and here's the answer. Here's answer number two, number three. And then the second part of that is to preempt the further questions. You know, if you can, if you already know that they're, that you're giving an answer and they're going to have a question about that answer, maybe just go the extra mile and, you know, put a little bit more information so that everything is clear to them and they don't have to send another email back to you asking, well, what does that mean? You know, number three, use proper spelling, grammar, and punctuation structure and layout. Uh, this is a uh, pretty much a given. Uh, I don't think we really need to go over this. Um, I turn on the spelling check on my emails. Uh, yes, I am kind of anal retentive that way, but I think it's a good idea, especially if you're dealing with clients or somebody outside that you need to look professional to, you really do need to make sure your, your, at least your spelling is correct. Um, grammar and punctuation, you know, it's a good idea to have those correct as well. But spelling is, is one of the easiest things to catch and can make you look very stupid if you uh, have all kinds of spelling errors. Reply within 24 hours and allow time for the receiver to reply. Um, first part of that, don't wait forever. I mean, people time is money. People are waiting for answers. If they ask you for something or if they send you an email and they're, they're looking for some kind of information from you, make sure you at least get back to them and say, Hey, I'm, I'm very busy right now. Um, I'm going to get back to you as soon as I have time to research this thing, whatever it is. If you're not going to be able to get back to them very quickly, then just shoot them a quick email and tell them 
that you're not going to get be able to get back to them very quickly. Uh, just a good practice to let them know that you're on it. You're not just uh, ignoring their email. Second part of that one is allow time for the receiver to reply. You don't want to send somebody a question and then 10 minutes later send them another email saying, I asked you this question, why didn't you answer me yet? You need to give them time because answering emails isn't always you know, the first priority for everyone. Not everyone has time to, to just stop what they're doing and answer your question. So keep that in mind. Um, Again, this whole thing is just kind of think about what, what happens to you. When somebody sends you an email and you're in the middle of a project, you're not just going to drop everything and answer that email unless it's you know crucial that you do. So just remember that other people will be in the same position. Uh, number five is do not write in capitals. If you write in capitals, that's usually taken as though you're shouting or yelling or speaking very loudly. Uh, at times, that means you're mad. <laughs> so be careful using the capitals because you know you might not mean it in that certain way. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning. Maybe you don't mean to sound like you're shouting, but you don't know how that person on the other end is going to take it. You know, They might not think anything of it, or they might think that you're mad at them because you're shouting. Avoid angry outbursts and be mindful of your tone. And this is probably the biggest one. Uh, I've definitely had some examples at my full-time job to where somebody sends you an email, either the tone is very condescending or they're questioning something that you're doing and your first instinct is to hit that reply button and just bang out some message that says, F you, you know, I know what I'm doing here. You don't tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. You suck. Uh, you should have been fired a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's your first instinct. And I think it's okay to do that. But if you're going to do it you know, if you're going to hit reply and you're going to do it in an email, you might want to clear out the, the address first, just in case you accidentally hit that send button, because that could be very dangerous. I think it's okay to go ahead and open up an email, though, and start just typing everything that's on your mind. Get it all out there. And then go through and read it back, and you'll understand why it's not a good idea for you to sign that, or to send it, rather. Uh, most times because either you'd probably be fired after you do that, uh, you might lose a client, or you might just piss somebody off that you work with that you don't want to because you work with them a lot and uh, you want them on your good side. Numerous reasons. But absolutely, you don't want to just jot down some angry reply to something and send it right off to them because um, you're just you're in a different state of mind right then. And you might think that it's, it makes sense to send that email, but it really doesn't. And I think if you give yourself time to cool down and you go back and read what you wrote, you understand that there's no way you should be sending that email. Uh, also, being mindful of your tone. Like I said, I've had some emails before that's, that really sound condescending. You know, Maybe it wasn't meant to be that way, but you have to be careful because it's very easy to sound like you're the know-it-all and you're telling the other person their job. Um, it's It's... It's just something obviously you don't want to do because you're going to make somebody feel bad or, you know, if you don't hurt their feelings, maybe they're just going to be mad at you and they're either, you know, if it's a client, maybe they won't ever want to work with you after that. Somebody that you work with, again, you know, they're not going to appreciate that very much and, and things, there will be some tension in the workplace, which you don't want. Don't use email to criticize others. I think this kind of piggybacks on what I was just talking about Um you don't want to just start throwing out criticism. If you do that, I think it's important to also throw in some good points. Say, I liked this about this certain thing, but I thought it could have used some work. And this one, 
kind of goes back to a discussion we had a long, long time ago about critiquing other people's work. It's a very sensitive area. You know, some people just can't take criticism very well. So you have to for, you have to format it very sensitively, I guess, to make sure that they don't react to it. But um, I'd say email is really not a great place to do that anyways. Uh, I think a face-to-face -face is much better. That way you can explain yourself. Uh, you can see if they start to get offended by something, you can kind of backpedal a little bit maybe or try and soften the blow, like I said, by giving them some positive feedback as well with the negative feedback. So... Uh, I would say keep the criticism out of the email, but if you must do it, try and you know pad the blow with with some uh, good and some bad. Uh, let's see. Next one is read the email before you send it. I kind of went over that with the angry emails, but also with every other email. I usually reread my emails before I hit that send button. Uh, for one thing, to check for, for any kind of grammar errors or anything that sounds funny to me, because again, I want to look very intelligible, I want to look professional, but also just to make sure that you got your point across, that you answered all the questions that they asked you, so on and so forth. Uh, do not overuse reply to all. This is a big one usually in the workplace. You're going to have somebody that sends out something that, you know, maybe it's a project that five people are working on, but there's five other people that just need to be, you know, kept up on the you know the progress of the project or something like that they don't know every little single detail so when you reply all obviously you're sending it to all those people and you don't want to get into mass details and be sending it to these five other people who only want to know you know where the project stands they don't know anything about it really so that's where that one gets kind of annoying and it really is annoying if you are ever on the other end of that because you're getting these emails that really don't mean anything to you and it's wasting your time because you're having to read emails that don't mean anything to you. So just watch that one. Uh, number 11, kind of stupid. Do not forward chain letters. Um, I don't think you should really have... I should really have to tell you that. Um, use, meaning, use a meaningful subject to summarize the message. And this is a huge one for me because I get so many emails. It really helps me to have something in that subject that indicates me what indicates to me what that message is about especially when they start piling up and all of them are about different tasks or different projects and then I have to go back through these emails and figure out which ones I need you know what they're about I can quickly scan those subjects and see oh okay this one was about an email campaign this one was about the home page and it really helps me to to break those down if I get something where it's a big long string with one person and they're the ones sending me the jobs and all of them have the same exact subject line in them but they all are talking about some different task or some different project that that's really bad for me because obviously I, I'm looking at this big list of emails they all have the same subject but they're all about different things and when I go back and try to find that certain one that had the piece of information that I need in it I can't find it I have to go through every single one of those emails so make sure this is kind of an organizational thing it's, it's you organizing things for the person you're sending to, but make sure you put something in the subject that, that alerts them to what is in that message. Do not send or forward emails containing uh, blah, 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 obscene remarks, racist, anything like that. Again, this is typical stuff that you would get at the office. Um, it's, it's a good way to get yourself in trouble. If you have certain people that you're comfortable with, you know you can send them, you know, something obscene or a joke or something like that, fine. But when we're talking about workplace, clients, um, 
people that you're working with. Obviously, you want to avoid this stuff. Um, use the CC field sparingly and do not respond if you are CC'd unless your response is of value to the readers. And this kind of goes back to the reply to all kind of thing. Um, when you're writing the email, you only want to copy those in who really have something to do with what you're writing. You don't want to send somebody an email that's really going to mean nothing to them because that's just a waste of their time. And also, if you are CC'd on something, only write back if you have something that really pertains to what the subject is about. Uh, again, you don't want to waste people's time, so and you're wasting your own time as well if you're putting your two cents in and your two cents don't really matter. So um, that's pretty much it there. Some good tips, though, and I think, again, the most important ones are making sure that that you just get your point across, that you answer all the questions and give them all the information that they are asking for, that they need, without you know coming off in a way that might not be that pleasant to them. You know whether it be them just reading that into it or you actually meaning it. You don't want it either way. So just be mindful of that. The keys to the game. All right, for our key commands, uh, I believe we were doing some tools before, and we're going to stick with that. And uh, I'm hoping I haven't done these already. I don't think I did. But we're going to be in Photoshop, and we're talking about the selection tools. So the first selection tool on the top there is the Marquee tool. And to get the Marquee tool, we're going to press M. And again, to get there, there are two if you hold down, if you're actually using your cursor. Um, if you actually hold down, there is the elliptical marquee tool that's underneath the rectangular one. And if you want to get to that one, you're going to hold down Shift and press M. And that will change between the rectangle and the elliptical. The next one down below that is the lasso tool. And there's a few in that one. We're going to get to that one by pressing the L key, L for lasso. And again, there's three different tools. So if we hold down Shift and press L, we can go through uh, there's the freehand one, there's the, uh, I don't even remember what they're called, the polygonal one and the magnetic lasso. So if you hold down shift again and press L, you're going to go cycle through all three of those. Uh, the next selection tool is the magic wand tool, and we're going to get to that one by pressing W. Uh, there is also another one underneath that one. I believe it's new to Photoshop CS3. Uh, don't hold me to that, but it is the quick selection tool. And that one is also underneath that. So again, hold down shift and press W and you cycle between the magic wand and also that new quick selection tool. All right, for our second topic here, we're going to be talking about a little web design. And again, today's theme is kind of avoiding mistakes. So the second part, it actually comes from Smashing Magazine website, uh, which is at smashingmagazine.com. A very good, it's like a blog with all kinds of great news. Uh, there's some tutorials on it as well, um, some showcases of different people's work and stuff like that. But a very, very good website. Uh, I like their articles the best. Um, and like, you know, like we're going to see right here, they have some very good topics. So um, we're going to be talking about... Um, basically things that you don't want to do, things you want to avoid when you're doing web design because of usability issues. And if I can get up here and read the title of it again, 10 usability nightmares you should be aware of. Number one is the hidden login link. And you're going to find this on a lot of websites. And I'd say this, the second biggest offense or offender, not sure how you would say it, is the, the help button usually. 
Uh, both the help and the login buttons are usually only in uh, a typed format. They're usually very small. And I think the only good thing about you know, the way people do those is they're usually up in the right-hand corner. That's usually where you can find them. And I think that's the one way to really kind of avoid this without having to make it, you know, larger or make a big button that says login. Although it's not the worst thing in the world. If, if you have some kind of login to your site and it's important to your website, you definitely want people to be able to find it. So you don't want to hide it. You don't want it to be tiny type. You don't want it to be, you know, in different colors. You, you want to make sure that it's apparent to the person how they log in. And, uh, Another way to do this is most websites that I use these days, they actually have the, the login form on the front page, which makes it a little easier to see because you're going to be able to find, you know, a little section that has fields in it for you to type in, um, as opposed to a site that might just have, like, like I said, a textual link that says login and you don't see anything until you click that and then it takes you to a login page. So just be weary of that. You know, if the point of your site is to get people to join become a member and then log in, you want to make sure that they can figure out how to log in. And on a lot of sites, it's not always apparent. Uh, number two is pop-ups for content presentation. Um, pop-ups generally are used for very annoying ads, but some people actually, you know, it opens a new little, a little sized window when you hit a certain link or when you, maybe when you open a page, some of them have something that comes up. If you have meaningful content, that is coming up in that window, that's probably not the best way to go about it. Uh, you might want to maybe use some Flash instead to do that uh, because most browsers these days have some kind of pop-up detection and some way of stopping that from happening. So obviously if you have something very important you're trying to tell people and you have it in a, a pop-up box, um, a lot of people aren't going to see it because the browsers are very good these days at avoiding that stuff and, and stopping it from coming up. And even, you know, a lot of them will, like if you're using Firefox, it'll give you a little bar at the top that says, hey, we didn't let pop-ups open. Do you want us, you know, do you want to be able to let the pop-ups open for this website? That's all fine and dandy, but they're actually having to proactively say, hey, yeah, I want to look at pop-ups. And most people aren't going to do that. So if you have something, some content that's, that's really worth your users looking at, don't put it in a pop-up window. Put it right where, you know, in the page where they're already navigating to. Dragging instead of vertical navigation. And this one I think is kind of, it's not so common, but you do find it here and there. Um, it, it really, with all the, the Flash websites that are out there, this is where you're, you're really going to see these things. There is a lot of CSS that does this as well. As well. And um, the other one that comes to mind too, uh, I think the one that they're actually referring to in this actual article is it's like a box that has navigation that you can actually click on and drag around the screen. Um, there are ex other examples of this as well. I'm actually looking at the site right now. But yeah, there's some boxes that you can move around or there's things that maybe it hides and then you click another link and then it pops back up. Uh, I've also seen CSS ones where the, the navigation will be up in the left-hand corner. And as you scroll down the page, it actually scrolls with you and it always stays in that same spot. Uh, that might seem like a good idea because the, the navigation is always on the page, but it's very distracting. It's very annoying looking and it hovers over other things as well. You know, unless you clear a space for that always to be, it's going to be hovering over some of your other content on the website. So uh, some of these strange 
navigations really are more gimmicky than they are you know valuable because people are used to navigation at the top or navigation on the side so that's usually your best bet as far as putting a navigation system in there where people will understand it they'll know how to use it and uh, they'll be able to use it effectively uh, number four on the list is invisible links this is a big one as well um, they have several things on here one picture is actually it's an image and I think sometimes you can get away with this if it's like a duplicate link. Like I'll have a, a paragraph with some text that relates to the picture. There will be a link either in that paragraph or in the footer under the image. And then there will be a link attached to the image as well that goes to the same page. But you're giving them, you know, an extra choice. I'm not just putting a paragraph of text with no links in it and then putting an image there that links somewhere and and really giving them no reason no no way of knowing that that picture is going to link to somewhere unless of course they roll over it and see the little hand the little finger uh, you always want to give them some kind of visual indicator another example is um, there's a button on here that says free download well that's good and it looks like a button which is kinda of getting you in the right direction but it's always good to have some kind of visual indicator like a rollover state you know, I'm rolling, I roll over the button. If I roll over an image, even one that says free download, and nothing happens, that's not really indicating to me that that's a link. Again, I'm going to get the finger and I'm going to notice that, but not everybody knows that. You know, so it's good to maybe it changes, you know, just the shade of it. Maybe it changes to a brighter color. Something to let them know. Uh, same thing goes for links. You want to make sure that your links have some kind of visual indicator as well, which is why it's always a good idea to use your, your CSS and make sure that there's a rollover state for it. You know, if you just leave your, your links blank or you leave them stock rather, they're going to automatically, they're not going to automatically have that rollover state. So you actually have to put it on there and it's always a good thing to do anyways. It's very nice looking. Uh, number five is visual noise. And the example they give here is overstock.com. And what I'm looking at here is a page with a bunch of watches on it. Um, underneath it is a description of what the watch is. There's a price under that. There's a list price under that. Under some of them, there's a, it says review and there's all kinds of stars. There's lots of stuff going on here. And another way to confuse people of what to click on is by having lots of information on your page like this, all kind of cramped up together. Um, they have under the description of the watch it is underlined and that tells me that that's probably the link I don't know because it's just a screenshot of the page um, which brings up another point you don't want to really underline text that's not a link because that will confuse people generally links are underlined uh, I know nowadays a lot of people choose not to underline them or it will be underlined only when you roll over it but if you underline text most people I think uh, most web users are, are going to think that that's a link. But just be careful how much info you pack into a, a small space as well because it, it makes it very confusing what you're supposed to click on. Six is the dead end. You never want a dead end in your website. You always want to be bringing them, you know, steering them in a certain direction. Now, whether that means you go all the way through a form and they fill out the form and it gives, you, gives them a thank you page, you don't want to stop there. I mean, they're not done. They are done because the point of, you know, this path that you took them on was to get them to fill out the, the, the information sheet. And they did that. That's great. 
But then you go to the thank you page, you want to continue that journey. So you need to steer them back to the home page, uh, onto the next product or somewhere else, but never ever make it so that they actually end up at a dead end in your website. Number seven is content blocks layering upon each other. And I kind of alluded to this when I was talking about um, the navigation that was floating down the page as you scroll down. Sometimes it ends up on top of some of the other content. Uh, the, the example that they show here is one of those banners. I'm sure you've all seen them by now. Uh, I believe they're flash. But when you roll over it, it kind of extends over onto the page, like over some of the content. Uh, now, obviously, this is either the fault of the people who made that website for letting you know some kind of ad like that get on there, or they don't care, obviously. But um, you could be covering up some cru crucial information there, and that could be an easy way to make people leave. So you got to be careful with that. Um, they also show a drop-down menu, which is going over the top of the page. And then on top of that, there's some other kind of... Uh, some other kind of message or something like that. So, I mean, it can really get busy this way. Drop-down menus, I don't think are as bad because they're going to the menu for a purpose to go to another page. I don't think that is as bad. But when you get into these pop-up ads, the ones that scoot over on the page, or some of the most annoying ones that I've seen are the animated ones where there's like a car driving across the page or something like that. Very annoying stuff. You really don't want that on your website because it, it turns people off and they're just going to leave. Number eight is dynamic navigation. And here they're, they're really just talking to the same thing that I, that I was talking about earlier, which is you don't want to confuse people. People are used to a certain kind of navigation. And um, it can also kind of mess with, you know, how people use their browser to navigate. A lot of people use the back button. Uh, if you get into some heavy flash in your navigation, first of all, it makes it so that it doesn't get picked up by the search engines very well, but also sometimes it makes it so that the, the user can't use the back button. So you really need to be careful how intricate you make your navigation to make sure that people are still able to use it. Um, and this, uh, again, goes along with your audience, knowing who your audience is. Are they savvy enough to know how to use your navigation and not have any problems? Or are they the average Joe that's going on the internet you know, a few times a week and they don't really know how to use it? Uh, number nine is drop-down menus. Um, the first sentence in this one says, drop-down menus are useful for web developers and almost always get on users' nerves. Um, being kind of a developer myself, I'm going to say I don't agree with that, but maybe that's just be me being you know, Mr. Developer guy that thinks they're useful. Uh, I think there definitely is a purpose for them. I don't think that you absolutely need to have them. And the ones that are annoying to me are the ones like there's a second example here. And just because I'm pointing out all these examples in this thing, I am going to put a link up on the website, rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. It'll be in the show notes. So you can go through and go through this article as well and uh, see what I was talking about. But they're showing an example where they have the top navigation. If you hover over that, it drops down a menu. And then if you hover over one of those menu items, it kicks out another menu to the side. This is where I have the problem. If I'm going down like two, three different levels and it's all there in that one navigation, that becomes a little confusing to me. I usually stick to, you know, I'm going to drop down once. They can go to that page and then there's going to be another set of navigation on there to go to the deeper pages. 
uh, keeping in mind that you only really want to go down two to three levels from your home page anyways, just to keep things simple and, and make sure that all your pages get picked up by the, ser the search engines. Um, but they're saying this is a no-no. I mean, if you can get away with not having that, I think you definitely should. But I also think it's very useful for people to be able to jump into your website if they already know where they're going. And having to click two or three times is going to be annoying to them as well as it may be to you know somebody who doesn't really know how to use this navigation that well and uh, doesn't actually make it into your site all that easily. Number 10 is blinking images. Again, this is one of these things that really shouldn't have to be on this list. If you put any kind of blinking image or blinking text or anything ridiculous like that on your website, take it off as soon as possible because that's just not the way to get people's attention. You use design techniques, you use good typography, you use things like that to, get, to grab people's attention. You make things larger, you use different colors. These are the way that you catch people's eyes. You don't make something blank. It's just gaudy and it's bad design. Uh, the last one they have here it says future nightmare and it says pointing the mouse instead of clicking. And this actually goes into uh, the website that I'm going to put in the bullpen today. So we'll be talking about that in a little bit here. And it's actually a very, I wouldn't say that this is a big concern of what's going on. It's kind of like uh, an experiment that they did to see what happens, you know, how we're so used to using websites in a certain way and using links in a certain way. So uh, we'll be talking about that in just a minute. Now that's what I call a rookie mistake. So for the rookie mistake, I think I'm going to uh, throw myself under the bus for this one and just kind of talk about again. Um, I'm sure I've gone over these things a couple times before, but just being careful how much stuff you put on your plate. And then the other one would be knowing when it's okay to call it quits or when, when knowing when it's time to call it quits. Um, if you have several, several things going on and obviously all of them have some sort of importance and you're not being able to give these things all of your attention or the attention that they need to make sure that they're done correctly, then it's really time to, to start prioritizing what it is, what's most important to you, to your career, um, to your clients maybe. Um, it's another good example is just doing freelance and taking on too, too many jobs and, and you're just frantically running around trying to finish jobs and instead of worrying about the quality that's going into them and the time that you're able to put in and make sure that they're done right. Um, at that point, you really have to start looking at, you know, the processes that you go through in deciding which jobs to take. Maybe you got to start declining some now. Um, maybe that means taking on, you know, some of the larger projects or some of the ones that pay more and not doing all these one-offs for maybe a client that gives you a lot of work. And sometimes it's hard to say no, and I definitely have been going through that because I've started trying to eliminate some things. I started working for a marketing company, so I don't need to actually uh, find my own clients anymore, but I did have a couple of clients that I served on a regular basis. The problem is, you know, I get these jobs from the marketing company and they're larger. They take more of my time, uh, they're ongoing. And, you know, I have this other client over here who just wants one-offs every once in a while. And it just, it wasn't adding up. I mean, the time that I was spending to do those one-offs just wasn't 
wasn't beneficial enough to what I was doing. It wasn't, you know, a good use of my time. So I had to kind of, you know, weed out the things that I shouldn't be doing and make sure I concentrated more on the things that I should be doing. So um, another example, of course, is with this website, you know, what I was talking about in the beginning. It's, it's becoming to the point where it's not really the most effective use of my time. So it's time to figure out something to do as an alternative. So if you find yourself in this position, I, I know it's not always the easiest thing to do, but sometimes you just need to take a step back and kind of look at maybe even make a list or make a chart. All the things that you're trying to accomplish, you know, both in the present and things that you'd want to accomplish in the future and make sure you're on, again, the right path to what you want to do, but also make sure that you're not taking on too much at the present time so that it's, you know, affecting how much quality is going into those different tasks that you're doing in, in the present. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. As I alluded to just a minute ago, our site of the day, our, our bullpen entry, comes from that article that I was reading. And the name of the site is called Don't Click It. And you can find it at don'tclick.it. That's D-O-N-T-C-L-I-C-K dot I-T. And this is, a, this is kind of just a, a fun thing to look at. Uh, it's an experiment about basically how people use websites. And the thing is, once you get inside here, um, there's no clicking. I won't tell you what happens if you accidentally click, but there is something that happens if you accidentally click. But there is, you know, a, a little navigation system. And what they're trying to do is see how long it takes you before you accidentally click on a link instead of just hovering over it. But it's done very well. It's done with Flash. And there's lots of cool things in there. So just check it out. Hover over everything. And then, you know, hopefully you won't click. But if you do, you'll you'll be uh, alerted to the fact that you did. All right, so that's going to do it for this time. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I didn't do that in the beginning. Uh, thank you for your support. Uh, again, this isn't going to be the last podcast that we put out. Uh, I do want some uh, conversation about what's going on here. If anybody has any bright ideas of maybe a way to rectify the situation and make it so that maybe we can keep it going, perhaps with someone else, uh, perhaps in another way, I'm not sure. But uh, I'd definitely like to hear your input. Uh, you can contact me several ways. You can email me at adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can Skype me at username titanstrides. You can, of course, put something up on the forum, which I definitely encourage. And like I said, even if the podcast goes away, the forum is not going away. That's a great resource, and I hope that everybody takes advantage of it. Um, rookiedesigner.com slash forum. And uh, definitely get some conversations going on up there. Uh, the other one is if you're a MySpace user, uh, myspace.com slash rookie designer. You can put something up there. You can uh, email me through there as well. Uh, again, thank you so much for your support and thanks for listening and subscribing. And just remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high. We were the magnificent dreamers. In secret lamplight hideouts We swore the world couldn't break us Even when the world took us down And so here I am struggling out in the mighty jungle Moving 18 miles a minute But I slowed down for nothing And I look to my left And I look to my right And I'm calling out for my brothers But it's so dark in this night Am I alone? 